and welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, WMCN, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. We are very excited to have in the studio with us Kella, Tiana, and Risa back to talk a little bit about the state of the state of the bicycle industry. Welcome. Thanks. Hi. <laughs> it's it's great to have you all here again. A couple of you have been here before, and Tiana, this is your first time. We're excited to have you. Thanks. Maybe before we get too far into the conversation, can you each introduce yourselves quickly and talk about what you do in the bike business? Sure. Um, my name is Calla Blaney-Martin, and I am the management director at Express Bike Shop in St. Paul. Um, my name is Tiana Johnson, and I am a senior bike mechanic, um, just around the <laughs> My name is Risa Husted and I'm an accounts manager at Wolf Tooth Components. Fantastic. And how did each of you get started in the bike business? What was your first introduction to working in the bike world? Tiana, maybe why did you start? Oh, because I'm in the middle. Yeah, that's right. I got started, um, my bike actually got stolen and uh, a friend was like, you can just build a new one. So they sent me to the grease pit, which got me, uh, my foot in the door basically of learning how to build a bike and I was like this is what I want to do with my life and then uh, a couple years later the hub was the first shop to give me a job where most bike shops are like you don't have experience we're not going to give you hmm. the opportunities so, wow yeah that's that was like 12 years ago now wow no kidding so you started when you were like six Kelly, <laughs> 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 how about you uh, I also started at Grease Pit Bike Shop um I couldn't figure out how to get my bike rack on when I was moving up to Minnesota from Missouri. Um, so I also went to um, the grease pit to build a bike mm -hmm. um, and started getting involved there and building bikes, learning how to work on bikes. And then eventually a friend had a sh job opening at Express Bike Shop and suggested I over there so cool that's, yeah, that's what i did risa how about you i just started like picking and packing orders at qvp hmm. and working in the warehouse yeah just started from the bottom now we're here that's fantastic and so you've always been on the manufacturing side have you worked in a shop at all no i've no never, you've I've always never been on the in a bike shop i i grew up in a bike shop uh and i mean that was but that was a great experience mm -hmm. that I don't need for myself or my children. <laughs> <laughs> Risa, you made a, a post on uh, on Facebook, I think it was Instagram the other day, about somebody asked you how long you'd been commuting or riding your bike, yeah. and you said yes. What was your? How did you get inspired by bikes in the first place? Well, I, d I don't know that I ever had a choice. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the bike yeah. just owned you from the yeah. beginning, right? Yeah, it was just very, very early on. They were like, okay, this is what we do mm -hmm. in our family. Uh, and we're going to take your training wheels uh, by the time you drive. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So you've been riding ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Tiana, how about you? What was your introduction to the bike world? Uh, first off, Risa, I didn't know any of that about you. That's really interesting. <laughs> um, I started BMX racing when I was eight. Uh, nice. I think my uncle got into it, and so my brothers got into it, and it was the first thing that they got into that I could do, because they did motocross for a while, and I was just slightly too small to do that, but when we started uh, BMX racing, I got to join the family club of BMX racing, and it kind of went from there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's really cool. Kelly, what was your introduction to cycling? Um, I, I'm not really sure. Let's see. I guess um did a lot of very recreational riding in Missouri. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a really hilly town where cycling <clears throat> or biking around town wasn't really a thing. Um, but like my parents were marginally into biking or like environmentally friendly types of transportation mm -hmm. um, and outdoor recreation. Hmm. Um, I really started getting more into it when I moved up here to Minneapolis and it is more convenient a lot of the times than driving. So that's that's really interesting to hear how early all of you got into cycling, mm -hmm. relatively relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. um, what is it that you love about your jobs in the cycling business? Um, do you want me to go first? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I really like um, 
Well, my job right now is a balance of doing administration and um, some hands-on work. Um, so I like the variety and um, I have a background in the arts uh, and working with my hands is something that really uh, I can really get into. Um, it's almost never, I'm ne almost never looking at the clock trying to see like when the day is going to be over because it go goes by pretty quickly when I'm working on bikes. Wow. So that's something that I really like about um, working on bikes. Yeah. Tiana, what about you? What, what are some of the things that sp spike your passion? I guess I'll say what's in my, my resume, which is <laughs> I'm a problem solver. But um, I actually really like bikes for that reason. Um, when I started going to developer boot camp, I would take breaks from coding to go work on my bike because it's just a really, it's a comfortable place for me and I, I just really enjoy it. And I don't know where that came from, but it was like the kind of the story I told earlier, which is like my bike got, I think, like got stolen and I had to rebuild a new one. And just like that first time I got to build a bike from the ground up, I was like, this is amazing and I want to do this forever. It's a really satisfying feeling. You know, I was at uh, Free Bikes for Kids uh, volunteering. They're giving away their, all their bikes today to their kids. Um, and so I was volunteering, and I'd never really put together a full drivetrain before. And they had the bike that I happened to pull off the pile of, you know, bikes that needed fixing, needed a whole new drivetrain. And I'm like, I, I did this. It was really satisfying to be able to do that, and I'd never done that before. So I can totally appreciate what you're saying. Risa, what, uh, what is it that, that gets you excited about work? Yeah, so... Similar to Tiana and Kayla, I, um, I also do a lot of boots on the ground problem solving in, in my job. I know that if you put me in, um, in a desk job anywhere else and were like, okay, so your job is to move packages from one person to another and then claim monies for the <laughs> transaction, I would be like, I'm out. <laughs> Bye. But at the end of the day, like if, if you know, my mind begins to wander I'm, and I can just think like, well, you know, the better I do my job, like the faster the people will get their bike parts. That's super, that's super great to me. I, just so just the that. fact of being in the bike business yeah. is inspiring. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't care that I'm moving widget A to company B. Mm -hmm. That's not very interesting to me. Yeah. But, but like knowing that, you know, my company is on the cutting edge of a lot of technologies mm -hmm. that are making bikes better and faster. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love it. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, does it feel like the bike business has an opportunity to be a long-term career for people, people generally? Mm, depends. No. <laughs> no controversy. I, I could be just, like, bitter. Uh, it might be the one that's been in it. Well, you came from, like, a family business, Risa, but, like, I guess I, I don't know this for sure, but I might be the one that's been in this the longest, and... Like, it's taken a lot, a lot of climbing. Um, I started at a really low wage, uh, even though I, like, had experience and, like, have clawed my way up and still I make, like, a really good wage now um, working at a nonprofit with Calad Express currently. But it takes a lot, and most of the people I've talked to, if you want to be a bike mechanic, like, there's men that have been doing it for, like, 20, 25 years that make a solid living. But other than that, like, it's... It's a hard, like on the bike mechanic side, it can be a very um, not uh, appreciated position. Hmm. There's a lot of times where people are like, that took you three seconds. Why are you charging me $12? Yeah. Because it took me 10 years. To make <laughs> That's right. So um, I'd love for there to be more growth, especially for more growth for like more not dudes in the industry. And I have hope for it, but like I'm definitely jaded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kelly, you said depends at the beginning yeah. of that. I think it really depends on what your life goals are. Like, if you're not looking to make a ton of money in life, but want to live an active lifestyle, working with bikes, uh, sure, that's sustainable mm -hmm. uh, if you're getting paid enough. But that's like, um, like, especially in the Twin Cities, it's such a saturated market for bike mechanics, so the wages are relatively low compared mm -hmm. to the cost of living um so yeah even in the like higher like even in my job like i'm probably making i'm in a like non-profit position where i'm doing administration probably doing more than some of my friends who are 10 years younger than me in positions that don't require as much work 
who are, and they're making more money than me. Yeah. Like in the nonprofit sector, even. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be discouraging if you look at it like that, but if you're looking at like, you know, uh, physically you can be on your feet, which is like actually really good ergonomically mm-hmm. to be working with your body. Yep. Um, in kind of a light way versus like heavy construction or something. Right. So that can be a benefit. Uh, I don't know. That's my depends. Yeah. So the sh- the shop side tends not to have as much, uh, you know, income, right? Yeah. It's harder to. The people who stick with it tend to be, I guess, like more passionate. Yeah. So that's like definitely working with people that are passionate about certain things, or it's like a possible benefit. Yeah. Risa, what about you on the manufacturing side? Does it feel like there's a career path? I think I'm going to take it a step back. The the bike industry right now is you know going on a road to nowhere, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's easy to look at the industry and say, well, this is not sustainable because this industry isn't sustainable. Hmm. Uh, I think though the answer to that is, I mean, the, right now the problems that we're facing are are ones of our own creation. Like we have branded ourselves as like this white male pastime, hmm. and we've either priced out or marketed out. Uh, like a lot of users that mm-hmm. could be future customers. Um, I think that women, female presenting people, people of color, we have the greatest value to bring to the industry mm-hmm. because we're the ones that are are going to be able to like set it back on a sustainable growth pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, I feel like being part of the industry or like being in the bike world is sustainable in that like in my whole lifetime, I'm not going to be able to bring as much value to the bike world as the bike world brought to me. Interesting. But I know how much work there is to be done. And mm-hmm. I don't know, every day that I wake up, I'm like, whew. Yeah. I got like, I got like 100 messages wow. that I need to send to the world. And I, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get through the top 20 today. It's uh, got to be inspiring and yes. daunting at the same time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> has, has the bike changed for you personally as a result of working in the business? I mean, do you have a different relationship mm-hmm. with your own bike? And cycling? Gosh. <laughs> you know, I feel like I've, I've got a, a friend who's got a, he's a semi-pro bowler and owns a bowling pro shop and he lives bowling, right? <laughs> Loves what he does, but it totally changes the way he approaches his, his own bowling, right? So I'm wondering, does that feel the same way for you in, in terms of your own cycling? I'm not, I, this is probably one of those, those there's no wrong answer. Um, I'm just gonna go with the idea like I started as a bike mechanic and I you know I had a slight uh, history in bike racing but I didn't know anything about like uh, performance. I didn't know anything about other types of racing. I didn't know like how to winter commute when I started working at a bike shop and like when I started putting myself further and further into the bike, industry and becoming like becoming more deep as a bike mechanic I learned like that's when I became a track racer Hmm. I met people that I didn't know before and started a career in bike racing so it took me to a whole nother level which is super amazing I'm a completely different person than I was 10 years ago living in a punk house basement (laughs) but the downside is when I like give my resume to some like company that's non-bike related they're like hmm sure are a lot of bike stuff on here. <laughs> and like, okay, that's been my life for the last yeah. however many years. Right. Interesting, though, that the, the work in the industry brought you deeper into your own cycling mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, sort of taking it away from you the, from the bike. That's interesting. Risa, I mean, you are obviously a, a very seasoned com- commuter, uh, bike commuter. You ride a lot uh, to get places. How has your work in the business changed that? Has it made you more passionate about commuting? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the more um, involved in bike world I became, the like nicer my bike bikes became. And sure. I hit a plateau where I was like, <laughs> I do not need to ride something that weighs less than my last meal. Wait, what? To work. <laughs> Wait, I don't even know what stuff. What are we talking about right now? <laughs> so, so I I personally um, my my bikes and like what I do with my bikes. Uh, they they have been affected by m- me working in bike world, but more to a point of like 
realizing like I can keep making my bikes nicer, I can keep making my systems nicer, but uh, I really at some point began feeling alienated from like other like normal bike riders, mm-hmm. and that m- brought me to all of a sudden be like, whoa, I actually want to connect more hmm. with like if I'm if I'm thinking of myself as a person who just bought a three hundred dollar Walmart bike, like could I could I use the city streets that I'm using now, <clears throat> cruising along at 18 miles an hour. Could I do that at, yeah. on, on, you know, like a, a run-of-the-mill department store or, bike? Yeah. yeah, and and thinking about like those user cases. Um, that that is what has like been changing for me in the last couple of years. So it feels like things have really fueled your passion in the yeah. in the business yeah. and outside. What about I, you, Kelly? Do you ride more often now? Do you ride less often? Um, I've been riding less in the last year, but um, I guess being part of the bike industry has... I feel like before I was in the bike industry, I had, like, very heavy, ill-fitting bikes, and I just didn't know any better. I was like, whatever, this is fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, man, this is hard, too. Like, biking is hard. <laughs> when you're on, like, a bike that's meant for someone, like, Six inches shorter than you. It's like, it's very hard to bike uh, with like flat, almost flat tires too. Um, so yeah, mainly learn to uh, fill up my tires. <laughs> right pressure. Right um, the ABCs. Yeah. Air brakes yeah. and chain. Mm-hmm. But I think most of my uh, coworkers would attest that I'm kind of a luddite in terms of the types of bikes that I choose for myself. Um, like I think I think I switched from a single speed and built myself a like ten speed last. <laughs> no, it was a six speed. Nice. Speed? I don't know. That's old school. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. They don't so, judge you for that, do they? Uh, I, I feel like there's I feel like there's some judgment, but I f- also feel like I'm maybe stubborn and dragging my heels a little bit in terms of technology. So. Uh. Risa, you you made a comment early on that there's a lot of dudes in the in the bike world in general. Um, yet, to a certain degree, the Twin Cities feels like there are more FTW folks uh, in the business. Do you feel like there's something unique in this town that maybe makes that possible? Yes, definitely. And for those that don't know, FTW stands for Femme, Trans, and Women Folk. Uh, we have a really strong community in the Twin Cities region of people who are just not not cis dudes um, riding bikes, but that hasn't necessarily just grown up organically. It's mm-hmm. been you know a lot of hard work by a lot of really dedicated people mm-hmm. over the last ten years to build that. Yeah, um, we're we're really lucky to have it. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, uh, all of the FTW people that I've been around in the bike business and in, you know, at the track seem to be really tight knit together. I mean, it feels like everybody really is there for each other. Uh, Tiana, you talked about, you know, sort of being exposed to the track community through your work in the, in the shop. How have you found that community embracing you and what you like to do? Uh, that, it was amazing. I did it on a whim. I wanted to change where my life was going. I was, bored and over going to punk shows and living that lifestyle and I just wanted to like try something different and like I remember being told like you should try the track you'd probably really like it and I said you guys all look stupid (laughs) 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 Um, and I did it because I was presented with the opportunity saying like there's barely any like there's barely any non-dudes out there we have six women racing in the field we want to grow the field. How would you like to go to like a WTF, um, no dudes introduction to the track? And I was like, heck yeah, no dudes. I'm in, I'm like, just to check it out. And I fell in love and there was so much support. I joined a team or I got pulled onto a team. I didn't know a single person on there. I barely knew any of them. And now like we call each other like, uh, teammates for life. So it just, and it's opened up my door. Like, I've raced across the world now, and I've met people through this, like, continually meeting people, and we're all still connected. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, it's it's gotten so huge. It's amazing. That's really cool. It, it feels like, as more FTW folks are in the business, that that has 
the potential to be beneficial to FTW consumers too, right? People who walk into a bike shop or are thinking about buying bikes or whatever. What are the kinds of things that you've seen at the shop level uh, that sort of reinforce that idea that, you know, there are benefits for FTW riders by seeing more people like them in the, in the shop? I know that when I go into a shop or when I started going to shops when I was younger and I'd see like a non-dude there, it was so exciting for me. And that was a reminder that I can do something like this. And I get that when people come into any shop I'm at, they'll be like, even children, they're like, oh, wow, cool. I'm like, yeah, you too can do this. Or even with bike racing, Mm -hmm. I'm sure Reese has experienced this and Kel has experienced it in the shop, just having like any, you know, like another woman come and be like, oh, I can do this. Or like, I mean, there's that other end of it where it's it's disrupting the norm in general. Like I had, well, this is a later question, but like I had a phone call where a guy asked me a ton of questions about his bike situation. And then he said, oh, you must be the secretary. Wow. And I said, wow. nope, I'm a senior mechanic. And he goes, well, we're all the men. I was just in there a week ago and it was all men. And my only response was, yep, the bike industry is full of men. <laughs> and like, but it's that mentality. Like he's so used to not seeing women that it was just like, well, you must not, you must be the secretary. Yeah, how so can it's you creating that like idea mm. of change? Like this is irrelevant. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's got to be frustrating on both ends. Where you know, and, and consumers, you know, there's the old the old joke about you know buying used cars and how women get poorly treated mm-hmm. in that experience too. And I got to believe it's not dissimilar in the bike business, right? I mean, as as a leader, Kella, what are some of the things that you try to do in your shop to foster those kinds of diverse employee bases and communications with customers and stuff like that? Um, I guess just personally, I try to use language that's more inclusive and, um, I don't know, even as, as like little as like if someone's saying like a boy's bike or a girl's bike, I'm like, well, the bikes don't actually have gender. Having a step through bike bike can be really advantageous for a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, like. What your hiring practices? Oh, hiring practices like uh, representation. Like, oh, representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <It's Yana>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, do you find that those practices have changed the the nature of your client base and or the interactions with your client base, your customers? I feel like it. Uh, yeah. Uh, this year was probably the first year that we had more than one non uh dude in the shop at the time at a time and Hmm. i feel like the environment was a lot uh it was a lot different but Mm -hmm. it also could be because it was tiana and she's like a the only uh like outgoing mechanic that that i know the only extrovert that i know that's a mechanic so So many stereotypes about mechanics right There, it seems like there are probably opportunities to continue down that path. I mean, what are some of the things that you've identified or you've seen that may be opportunities to expand that, you know, sort of diversity and inclusion and style? I mean, what are some of the things that you feel like are coming that could be accelerated? Um, I think, let's see. I mean, maybe another way to ask that question is, what are the challenges that you feel like really need to be overcome now to make the place better for non-cis dudes? I think infrastructure in general for bikes would kind of have a ripple effect. That's like you mean like city streets type view. infrastructure? Yeah, that's a really broad view. Um, but like having uh, pathways where kids... Can ride unassisted, or um, people feel safe enough mm-hmm. to ride um, in like their towns. That's that would have a big ripple effect. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, more just more people who are non cis uh, dudes who are like or people who aren't necessarily comfortable just taking up space with. Um, bikes on, or sorry, with cars on streets. Mm-hmm. Um, 
are kind of, I guess those people are kind of outliers. Yeah. What about something in within the industry specifically? What are some of the things that you feel like are challenges? I feel like you can probably chime in with me on this, but I think a huge thing is again representation, hiring practices. I go into so many bike shops or so many bike industry events, and it is so so male dominated and potently white male dominated. Hmm. And I think that a huge thing, like I walked into Recovery Bike Shop the other day, and three non-dude like people came out and I was just in awe and my boyfriend like left me to talk to them because I was so excited and he's like you never get to do this <laughs> it was totally fine I was like so excited to see that and that's that reminder like if I wasn't also a mechanic if I was just an average person off the street to walk in on that that'd be wonderful mm-hmm. and I think that like that falls under having people of color as well and so it's like you don't know what kind of barriers are created by just like not having other types of people in your shop. Mm -hmm. I can go to so many shops in the twin cities and it's all dudes and I'll talk total crap to them. It's like, (laughs) wow, it's really cool that there's no, like no women here. There's no non dudes. That's really impressive. And they're like, well, they don't apply here. They don't want to work this kind of Mm -hmm. job. It's like, no, they do. You obviously are not doing the right thing. So I think like just, Opening the door and bringing people with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that that QBP has done some things. They've got a scholarship program, a, a, you know, an, an educational program for for FTW people to become mechanics. Are there other programs that you're aware of, or that people are building, um, or are there are there is there a need for other types of things beyond just teaching people how to be mechanics? Hmm. I think that still just falls under like. I mean, like volunteering at the grease pit and other people seeing that and wanting to come hang out Mm -hmm. or encouraging like younger kids to come do that as well. Mm -hmm. I think the QBP program is really great. Um, There's other ones that come into play. Express has a youth apprenticeship program. Uh, The hub does it as well. I'm sure there's other ones that happen. And that brings in and that brings in a lot of like a lot more different types of people in like maybe dirty little secret that I'm not supposed to say but when I was working at the hub and we were hiring for apprentices I did not take a single white male I was I just threw them away I was like you Hmm. will have the opportunities and I want this to go to people that actually like don't have a foot in the door yeah that like didn't just hang out at a bike shop and get a job that institutional privilege kind of I guess right Uh, Kella, you're, uh, you're going to have a baby soon. Congratulations. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Yes. Um, I'm curious, you know, obviously uh, in a leadership position at uh-huh. the shop, you're in a, in a position to influence this, but what, uh-huh. what kinds of uh, benefits or, or recognition or support has the shop given you through the process? Uh, well, Express Bike Shop is part of a larger uh, nonprofit organization. So that larger nonprofit organization has a lot of... Um, uh, benefits and uh, like best procedures for uh, all employees. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of covered under um, their Keystone's uh, policies for pregnant people, which is like um, I get more breaks for eating, which has been very handy. And um, if I need to take some extra time to rest I can do that and if I don't want to um, I don't have to pick up anything over 20 pounds which is kind of challenging (laughs) in the industry Um, yeah when the UPS guy shows up right right or like um, we store a lot of our bikes that we're working on in the basement so you know a lot of the times I carry bikes up from the basement and since we work on a lot of older bikes, um, very few of them are under 20 pounds. <laughs> um, yeah, so luckily we have um, youth apprentices who I can ask for help or That's good. co-workers who I can ask for help. I feel like Express probably needs a lighter than your last meal bike program. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for everybody. Right, yeah, that would be nice. But I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> I feel like you think that my bikes are really light. Uh-huh. But what I was actually trying to say <laughs> oh, is right. I eat a lot. You're, you're, <laughs> that 17-pound lunch is going pretty good, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know those Costco-sized pizzas? Those the ones? How many of those do you have on a typical day? I mean, is it a Monday or a Friday? 
Depends on my stress level. <laughs> no, but but really, I mean, the bulk of the bulk of bikes are gonna be like big clunkers, mm-hmm. and heavy, and I don't know how you would get around with. Out that the, that kind of that assistance. kind of support, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Anne Head is probably the most visible sort of figurehead, and even you know she is the leader of uh, head components, head wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done a lot to you know sort of be a representation for FTW people in the in the industry. Are there other companies that you feel like around town or around the industry are doing a good job? of developing inclusivity and diversity in their in their practices and their workforces? I feel like there are a lot of companies and not necessarily I'm I'm mostly gonna speak um, as a whole in the like grand scheme of things. I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of companies that are really stepping up and doing a great really great job for representation but still have other problems like yeah, they're starting like uh, like a women's team with a lot of people of color, and then they'll have a men's team with like a terrible person on it, mm-hmm. something stupid. Like, and then they'll keep promoting that person as well. So it's like hmm. there's a lot of uh, steps forwards and then steps back. So on the grand whole, it's like we're moving forward, but it's we're still hitting you know walls with what the industry actually is. Mm-hmm. But. Um, in the local setting, I'm sure there's a lot of really great things going on, and I actually have like Anna Schwinn in my head right now, being like, "This person and this person and this person." <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah, I think the broader outdoor industry is doing a good job of putting um, women and non cis dudes mm-hmm. first. Uh, like the first person that comes to mind is like, like Columbia stepped up in a big way in their marketing in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Gert Boyle is the face of mm-hmm. Columbia. Which, that's great. I mean, that's an individual who, um, you know, she has literally been working in the outdoor industry her whole life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that as, as, as we do in the bike world, we're a couple of years behind in, mm-hmm. that, in that way. But um, as, just as part of the broader industry, I think, I think, uh, I think we're doing a lot better mm-hmm. in having forward-facing um, women trans and femme folk mm-hmm. as as figureheads mm-hmm. of our of our world. Yeah, Kelly, you sort of you made the joke that uh, bikes aren't gendered, but yet there are a number of companies who are starting to build equipment that, at least uh, on the outward side, are you know designed around women and women presenting bodies. Are you seeing some things that are positive in that regard? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, we don't see a ton of that in our like we, we we get whatever we get sure because we work with all donated bikes mm-hmm. um, but like uh, someone who's been doing the work of like um, creating bikes that are fitted for smaller framed people for a long time mm-hmm. Gina Terry mm-hmm. um, I think it's that's really cool um, but also like I f- also feel like there's a lot of like you know, pink washing or like, mm-hmm. um, marketing as the first uh, aspect of doing like, like looking like there's equity, but not like we can always do a better job of supporting people who aren't white cis dudes. Yeah, I think there's starting to be some support there, mm-hmm. like the QBP scholarship, but. Um, whether that's followed up by continued support is like I don't I don't know if that's happening. Yeah. Cuz that's um like if you are coming to the industry without any uh background in bikes but you're very passionate about it that might not be enough if you're not supported actively. Yeah. What does it take to be uh truly authentic in your approach to that? I mean, you know, so I think about uh, there's marketing campaigns with showing more women in in ads. That's an important step. Making bikes and equipment and apparel that work for people that you know are not dudes. How does it not be pinkwashing? I mean, what what are some of the things that you feel like need to happen to make that be authentic and throughout an organization? Hmm. 
<laughs> I mean, Risa, you you're work for a manufacturer. What are some of the things that you guys think about, you folks think about, when when you're putting together new equipment? Yeah, I will say I have a lot of complicated thoughts about this, and I'll just try to condense them. So a huge challenge for um, like for women in in a bike shopping experience is when I speak to women, a lot of them maybe don't say this outright, but women tend to need an invitation into a thing. Hmm. And, and I think that companies like Live, who are taking their giant branded bikes and literally putting pink on them mm-hmm. and selling them with a different brand name, I, you know, from, a, from an engineering perspective, to me that feels disingenuous. But if that's a thing that allows a person who identifies as a woman to say, okay, there's a product for me, mm-hmm. okay, there's a place for me in this culture, I mean, I think as a means to an end, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. If, if you have a marketing group that you've failed historically to tap into, um, and, and you say, like, well, there is a demographic that, like, what they needed was... For it to come in feminine colors, mm-hmm. um, little little air quotes, feminine yep. colors, <laughs> and then and then there is, you know, there is a part of the market that responds to that. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. With that being said, I think there are a lot of barriers to being able to ride a bicycle comfortably mm-hmm. that are specific to, um, like, people with. Let me think. People with smaller framed bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or are specific to um, user groups that are not like young to middle aged white yeah. men. I, I think of Eric Noren and his cake bikes right. as an example of that. Yes. Right, not necessarily a gender specific thing, but just for you know smaller framed people. Right. Yeah. Um, and not not necessarily just small people, but there. Are, I mean, we are we're an industry that we we love the you know like the image of like. The Tour de France, or somebody who's like going as fast as they can, super as hard fit, as they yeah. can, and mm-hmm. like you can see their muscles popping out of their legs so hard <laughs> that you're wondering if they need to see a doctor right now. <laughs> but that's really not the whole user group of of the bike world, yeah. and I, and I do worry at times, you know, when we're when we're not responding to, to physical needs of people, um, then we're not going to have a product for them. Yeah, I think specifically of somebody like you or any other like person over 40 mm-hmm. who is beginning I'm not speaking for you but like thanks for putting it at 40 that's great is beginning to as 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 the as the uh, seasoned member of the group uh, <laughs> you, you know as somebody who's beginning to experience like mobility problems the kind of bikes that we see marketed towards women like step through frames like those are for every person mm-hmm. who doesn't have the flexibility to yeah. throw their leg over the back seat of their bike. Yep. Um, but we heavily market those things in in a way. Put that, flowers on it. Yeah. In yeah. a way that in a way that would limit maybe a user who mm-hmm. could who could get use out of that design. Definitely. Um, because we're like, mm, I put a flower on. Yeah. It. <laughs> like yeah. Middle aged white man not going to use that. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because I feel like there's a missed you know as a marketer I feel like there's a missed marketing opportunity by being so focused on that elite level and often more often than not male group it's like you're missing the 80 90 percent of the market yes. by not having an understanding of what that market wants. That's kind of why I wanted Risa to talk because I knew she'd nail most of what I was thinking and then I wouldn't end up swearing. <laughs> um, You're doing great, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I, yeah. You have this little piggy jar here. <laughs> the swear jar. Um, I, do, I do also have a lot of opinions about this. I have a lot of feelings towards the Pink It and Trinket campaign. I remember when I was looking for my first road bike and... Um, I'm not going to say the company because I do respect them, but they had a ton of uh, male versions of the bike, which were just all built to up. They were 52 and up, and then they had one female-specific version of this carbon road bike I wanted, and it was wonderful, and I loved it, and it went down to a 46, or even, I think, down to a 42, and it fit me, and I was so excited, except it came in one um, spec, 
you couldn't get any higher end parts on it. You hmm. only got you got what you got if you wanted something smaller, and it didn't make a difference. Wow. The components weren't going to change anything on the sizing of the bike, and that was really disappointing because hmm. like that was also a company run by a woman, and like those things happen. And I get, it, but that's the demand for the market, and they're like, well, you know, you can always upgrade it, but most women just like don't care about the components, and I was hmm. like. Stop myself some swear words. Yeah. Like it's just it's insane that the the industry thinks that way. And I was like, I'll drop money on this. Watch. My gender doesn't matter. But also, I mean, I remember like I think my first or second year working at the bike shop and this small male bodied person came in and was like, I need a bike. And we were showing I was showing him different bikes, which was just random because I'm a mechanic and I just happened to be on the floor. And he's like, Why are all these like geared towards women? And it's mm-hmm. like, Yeah. Exactly. That's a great question. Like, they should just be for anybody, mm-hmm. ever. Like, I have women coming to be like, I don't want these pastel colors. Or, like, it, it just should not matter. And the fact that we're so hung up on it is just insane. And it's like, hate to put it on the capitalist end, but you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. That's the thing that, that gets me. I mean, I, uh, social issues aside you're wasting an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if these companies really thought about it, they would be much more inclusive because they're leaving out at least half the market. They're missing that huge opportunity to be successful by being narrow-minded, which is really dumb. But maybe in the long term, it's probably good because they'll go away by, you know, not having the right kind of focus on the market. Yeah, and then you have companies like Surly and All City, and then like you brought up Eric Noren, who definitely took that demographic and ran with it, who's also a smaller human, because mm-hmm. and I are like the same height. Is that right? So whenever he makes a bike, he's like, well, I guess you could use mine. <laughs> are, you, are you the guinea pig? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he like he did a really great job, and like All City and Surly as like locally have been jumping on it, and you are starting to see more and more smaller bikes made, but it was just like, I remember I bought a the smallest bike Trek made at the time. This was like two years ago. It was a full suspension mountain bike. And I got it, and I could, like, I had to stand on my tippy toes to stand over hmm. the top tube. Wow. And I talked to the rep, and I was like, hey, dude, what gives? And he's like, well, it's just really hard to make full, small frames with, like, full suspension. And I was like, these other companies are doing it. What's they make the kids' bikes with full suspension. Right? And I was right. just like, and it's just hmm. like I continually get hmm. the comment. I'm 5'3", and I get that comment that's like, well, they just don't make bikes for you. And it's like, mm. are you kidding me? How is this? Okay, whatever. Wow. It doesn't matter. Wow. <laughs> this might be a little bit of inside baseball, and I would like to know what you folks think about this as well. Mm. But I find with some of the bikes that I fantasize about building, a lot of the limiting factors are high-end components that will fit on that bike. I think specifically about track bikes with 650C wheels mm-hmm. and tires and cross bikes with 650B wheels and tire offerings. I, I also think a little bit about um, like crank length, et, et cetera, mm-hmm. where, where it's like, even if you can build the right frame, do we have a market where you can get the right components at the appropriate quality level? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wonder what you two think about that. I think, no, I think that you're completely onto something here in the sense that like, I was going to, Eric was going to, um, Eric and I were talking about a, uh, a cross bike. And before, this was like several years ago, and things have gotten a little bit better, but it's like 650Bs um, like or like 650C cross tires, they're, they're so few. And I think it's getting better, but it's like a couple of years ago, you could find two. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and they were bad. Exactly. That's the thing is like with smaller cranks or like you, and if those do exist, it's either like super high end and really expensive or like really low end and you're going to destroy it. And you're going to buy a couple. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just like to them, they're like, that's, that's chump change. There's not enough people that want it for mass production. So that's like a whole other problem in the industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I guess like uh, our shop, the shop that I'm managed is mostly entry level, so we don't worry too much about the higher end stuff, but we have noticed, and especially in the past years, that the smaller sized spectrum sells out the fastest. Interesting. Um, so like the 46 to 51 or 52 sell out really quickly and the 24 inch bikes sell out really really quickly and it seems like it's 
a mixture of adults and children. So, hmm. yeah. So I guess that's my contribution. Which is interesting because that's from the used bike shop perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like the the mainstream companies don't see those benefits in the same way we do, which mm-hmm. means we build these bikes and they sell like crazy where it's like the mainstream company is like, no one wants to bike, buy these bikes. And it's like, no, they do. They just don't want to spend like $6,000 for you to make this tiny bike. You know, it, it seems like there's a lot of circumstances where people are fighting over this very narrow part of the market. I mean, we've kind of beaten this, you know, to death, but there's a whole other aspect of the market that's being missed because they, well, nobody's going to buy it. Well, you haven't told anybody that it's available. You know, you haven't actually built something for people and then told them that that's an opportunity. Right. Um, and yeah. people are in those development sessions that are in that size right mm-hmm. they should they should hire a marketing research company to yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're I, all available Tiana, yeah. <laughs> you you commented about uh someone asking if you were the secretary um and i that's probably high on the list but i probably it's probably not the highest on the list of boneheaded things that people have said to you uh i'm, I'm curious to know sort of what what's your worst war story I've probably done a really good job of blocking this out. There's so, 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 so many. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't even know. Again, I've had uh, customers ask where my boyfriend is. Wow. Um, I've had customers uh, refuse my help because I'm a woman. Um, I've had customers ask for an opinion from a male counterpart um, that were, like, one of my coworkers was walking by and he got grabbed and was like, is what she telling me true? And he, thank God, without missing a beat, just goes, whatever, if she told you it, it's absolutely true. And like, I even had a mutual, like a, a, an, a, an acquaintance of mine who I was like, hey, your frame's bent. And he's like, I don't believe you. And then went and talked to a male friend of ours. And luckily that male friend was like, if she said it, it's true. Like, hmm. listen to her. So it's just like, it's, it's nonstop. And I'm like, Definitely very jaded from it. Um, but yeah, the secretary one was really good. My other favorite one was another uh, um, associate uh, from a different bike company, bike shop company, came into my shop. And while I was double checking a coworker's bike, so my coworker, my boss, my service manager had finished the bike and I was double checking it to make sure everything was good. And a dude from another shop came up, touched the bike I was working on. And told me that the bars are like that. I was double checking. He's like, "Oh, the bars are crooked." And I was like, "Who are you? Wow. Don't touch. You yeah. don't know me. Like, wow. you just stepped." And it was just like older white male wow. just walked into my space and just like interrupted my job. And I, wow. all I did was look at him and go, "Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you also work here." Wow. And like. Everybody just froze because they thought I was just going to murder them. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. That's I'm glad you didn't. That's self-restraint. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, yeah. yes. Yeah, she just told that whole story without cursing. Yeah, yeah. Risa, have you had any experiences that stuck out? Gosh, I mean, more than I prefer to <laughs> to think about. I think that, you know, something that, that has been tough for me um, starting out uh, you know, working in, in a warehouse, um, I I often like wear clothes that make sense for the job that I'm doing. Which sure. Is to say, right. Like, I'm running around a lot. Um, I'm I'm honestly like busting my butt to make sure that stuff gets done. And um, I I don't I don't want to get into like too many specifics, but I I just there are there are times you know where you find yourself um, fielding comments about like your clothing or um, just hmm. <laughs> the the kinds of things that you choose to do to, yeah. to perform your job, right? Um, that you know just kind of make you want to disappear. Yeah, and uh, I I that, that some of that stuff I can just like I, I can just not not think about. Um, but I think that I think that over time the thing that is hard is like the burnout, just how much work um, mm-hmm. we well, femme, trans, and women folks are doing to contribute to the industry over and above your job yes yeah yes all the all the labor that we put in to you know sit our coworkers down to say things like hey you know i heard you on the phone with that client and you were using language that was alienating to them hmm. try to say it like this next time yeah um you know where we're both the you know we're both performing our job role like our cis male counterparts but right. also 
we we have to do this education. Right. We have to um, we have to be like actively ignoring like unnecessary sexual advances or just gross comments. Yeah. Um, in our workforce. Which, yeah. Uh, you know that stuff is that stuff is, it 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 wears on you. And mm-hmm. the important thing there is like that we have good strong allies. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we need we need people to recognize like we are tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, what can consumers do to make things better? What I mean, obviously, you know, there's a responsibility of the companies that are in the business mm-hmm. to do better. What can consumers do to make a better atmosphere, to make more things happen for inclusiveness, diversity? Like bike shoppers? Or yeah. Um, I, I guess, like, just... Like in terms of like sexism and stuff? Yeah, anything. Yeah. I mean, like just to make it a more welcoming environment for everybody yeah. to be in a bike shop or to be in the business. I think uh, people who use, who go to retail shops, bike shops, whatever kind of shop, just need to remember that they need to be respectful to all yeah. people anyway. Be adults like and. In any retail environment, like uh, or service environment, just be respectful. Don't yeah. Don't assume stuff about people. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Y'all have any comments on that? I think that you touched on it a little bit earlier, which is like assuming bike genders, or which is just silly because it creates this weird dynamic between people with mobility issues. And it's like, I don't know. There's so many weird gender issues that fall into this. And just going into it and just being like, um, I exist and this person exists and we're doing this together and mm-hmm. like we're going to figure this out instead of being like oh you're a woman working on a bike it's like literally didn't need to be said yeah like <laughs> or like oh I can't use this bike it's a girl's bike and I've de- like like Kala was saying I've definitely on more than one occasion been like I'm sorry I don't know what you're saying nice <laughs> I'm sorry what is that nice mm, I'm I don't I don't follow <laughs> so I yeah so, uh, so what kinds of advice would you give to some uh, young FTW person who wanted to join the business? What would be the thing that you would suggest to them? Hmm. This isn't going to be great, but it's finding a place that you're comfortable with and mm-hmm. knowing that you have allies. Uh, I think the hub was a great first place for me. I've worked at uh, five different, five or six different bike industry jobs since then, and like that was a great first step. I'm super duper lucky. Uh, because they're they are so welcoming and so encouraging and that's not the easiest thing to find so it's basically just like finding your allies and like don't let any it's it's the confidence thing i meet so many ftws that start in the industry and there's just so much lacking in confidence when you interview men they're like i can build a bike in 20 minutes and i'm like wow that's amazing you're hired i don't believe you (laughs) and like you'll you like people of color and like women will be like i don't know i don't maybe like an hour is that too much and like there's such a lack of confidence because that's how it's created right just own your like try your best to own your space and like if you don't feel comfortable like that's fine too i I could see that in people I was interviewing and being like, I want to hire this person because they look uncomfortable. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. If you just go into your job, into your workspace in the bike industry with the self-confidence of a mediocre white man. I say it all the time. <laughs> you'll land the job every time. I, I kept saying it. that to one of our coworkers. I was like, when I'm done with you, you're going to have the confidence of a white man. <laughs> so just act like a dude and you're fine, right? Yep. <laughs> Well, I can't believe we've we've already blown through the hour uh, talking with you folks. This has been really educational for for me, and I hope that a lot of people got got a lot out of it. So, thank you, Risa Husted, Tiana Johnson, and Caleb Blaney Martin for coming in to the show today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to have an archive. Uh, People will be able to find it at blastbeatbikes.com. There will be a recording. Um, I'm hoping uh, to get it up uh, tomorrow. And uh, this is our last show for the fall semester. We are going to go on uh, holiday break. And I'm going to Arizona for a couple days. Yeah, I'm going to get some sunshine. (laughs) And we'll be back uh, next spring. So thanks again for being part of the show, all of you. Thanks. Thanks. Bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my
say white, say bar, I say bite, say shark, I say him and George was never my scene, and I don't like Star Wars. Say Rose, say Royce, say God, give me a choice. Say Lord, I say Christ, I don't believe in Peter Pan, Frankenstein or Superman. Jesus, I don't wanna be a candidate for being number one. 